You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. Malware could detect sandbox emulations, a VEC supply chain attack. A new APT is active in Russian-occupied sections of Ukraine. An alleged Russian patriot claims responsibility for the D.C. HealthLink attack. CISA and NSA offer guidance on identity and access management. Tim Starks from The Washington Post has analysis on the Breach Forum's takedown. Our guest is Ryan Heidorn from C3 Integrated Solutions with a look at the CMMC compliance timeline. And Baphomet backs down. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. Researchers at crypto wallet provider Zengo discovered vulnerabilities in leading transaction simulation solutions. Transaction simulations are used to perform sandbox emulations to evaluate the potential outcome of the intended transaction before executing them, primarily to combat theft and scams. The researchers found that malware could detect that it was operating in a sandbox and then reveal its true malicious nature only when actually executed in a real environment. The researchers dubbed this a red pill attack, since the malware knows it's in a simulated environment. The researchers note that all vendors were very receptive to our reports, and most of them were quick to fix their faulty implementations. Some vendors, including Coinbase, 
awarded Zengo with bug bounties. Abnormal Security describes an attempted vendor email compromise attack that tried to steal $36 million from a commercial real estate company. The attackers posed as a trusted contact at an insurance firm, sending the phishing emails from a domain that ended in .cam instead of .com. The phishing emails contained phony invoices. Kaspersky reported yesterday that it had discovered a new advanced persistent threat operating against government, agriculture, and transportation organizations located in the Donetsk, Lugansk, and Crimea regions. The attacks begin with phishing emails whose payload is carried in malicious attached word files that purport to be government documents. Once the fish hook is set, it installs the Power Magic backdoor and then the Common Magic framework. Kaspersky says the campaign is thus far unattributed. The organizations, government and otherwise, that Kaspersky refers to in its report appear to be Russian occupation and separatist organizations, and so the suggestion would be that the APT is acting either for Ukraine or at least against Russian interests, but Kaspersky, a Russian company, carefully avoids either claim, Circumstantially, the campaign's purpose seems to be cyber espionage. Make of it what you will, but someone using the hacker name Denfer has claimed, according to CyberScoop, that he is a Russian patriot who breached DC HealthLink and obtained the personal data of many of the system's users, including members of the U.S. Congress. It was, Denfer said, an idea born out of Russian patriotism, presumably because of the congressional and other government worker data the compromise of D.C. HealthLink would reveal. The potential for harassment, embarrassment, or simple violation of privacy is obvious. The self-proclaimed attacker said he breached the healthcare service by simple Google dorking, the persistent and clever searching for information that ought to be secured but isn't. When asked by CyberScoop to provide proof of Russian nationality, Denfer told the publication they'd simply have to take his word for it. CyberScoop is properly reticent in its story, and Denfer's claims should be, at best, regarded as not proven. CISA and NSA have released, as part of their enduring security framework, Identity and Access Management Recommended Best Practices Guide for Administrators. The ESF's IAM best practices are organized into five categories— Identity Governance, Environmental Hardening, Identity Federation and Single Sign-On, Multi-Factor Authentication, and IAM Monitoring and Auditing. Each class of best practice is accompanied by an explanation of what it is, why it matters, and how it's implemented, with notes on the threat landscape interspersed in the discussion. An appendix to the document contains a checklist of actions organizations can take now— If you'd like a brief primer on identity and access management, check out our most recent episode of Word Notes, where we discuss exactly that. CISA has published an update to its cybersecurity performance goals. These are cross-cutting goals intended to be applicable across all critical infrastructure sectors. CISA says, The CPGs are voluntary practices that businesses and critical infrastructure owners can take to protect themselves against cyber threats. The CPGs have been reorganized, reordered, and renumbered to closely align with NIST CSF functions, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover, 
to help organizations more easily use the CPGs to prioritize investments as part of a broader cybersecurity program built around the CSF. CISA has been busy with other matters as well. Yesterday, the agency released eight industrial control system advisories. They affect Keylight, Delta Electronics, Siemens, Visam, Rockwell Automation, and Hitachi Energy Products. Operators should review the alerts and apply updates in accordance with the vendor's instructions. And finally, hey everybody, remember how yesterday we asked, speaking of Baphomet, the guy who said he would be taking over as a proprietor of a revived breach forums, whom can you trust if you can't trust someone with a demonological hacker name? Boy, were we ever wrong. Turns out, the record reports that Baphomet has changed his mind about bringing back breach forums. His infernal majesty posted yesterday, This will be my final update on breached, as I've decided to shut it down. I'm aware this news will not please anyone, but it's the only safe decision now that I've confirmed that the Glowies likely have access to Palm's machine. He added, Any servers we use are never shared with anyone else, so someone would have to know the credentials to that server to be able to log in. I now feel like I'm put into a position where nothing can be assumed safe, whether it's our configs, source code, or information about our users, the list is endless. This means I can't confirm the forum is safe, which has been a major goal from the start of this show. There will also be some uncertainty in criminal circles as to whether the FBI has the goods on more people than just Pom Pom Purin. Allegedly, we say, of course, since Pom Pom Purin is entitled to the legal presumption of innocence. But with respect to Mr. Baphomet and the whole underworld of cybercrime, we still say, good hunting, FBI. Mr. Baphomet, may the feds be with you. Coming up after the break, Tim Starks from the Washington Post has analysis on the Breach Forum's takedown. Our guest is Ryan Hydorn from C3 Integrated Solutions with a look at the CMMC compliance timeline. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard, and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
everybody. I want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. CMMC stands for the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. It's a program that was announced in 2019 by the U.S. Department of Defense, and it's aimed at combating the theft of intellectual property from organizations that are on a DOD supply chain. For insights on what CMMC means for government contractors, I checked in with compliance expert Ryan Hydorn from C3 Integrated Solutions. Yeah, this program actually goes back well over a decade in different forms. So the DOD has been trying to combat the threat of nation-state adversaries stealing sensitive intellectual property on everything from fighter jets to nuclear submarines from companies that are in the defense industrial base or DIB. And the vast majority of those companies are actually small businesses. So if you think small manufacturers, tech companies, R&D And these companies really face the same challenges around cybersecurity as a small business in any other industry. What's important to note is that CMMC is likely to impact any company with a DoD contract. And there's an estimated 300,000 plus companies playing various roles on these supply chains. Um, So obviously that's a wide impact. And CMMC certification will be required to win or participate on new DoD contracts with a phase rollout expected to extend into 2025. So it's an important program to pay attention to. It could represent an existential threat for organizations that are relying on DoD business as a revenue source. Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious for, for that aspect of it. I mean, to what degree, I guess, can you, can you give us a notion of the spectrum uh, to which this is a burden for various organizations? Sure. So CMMC has three different maturity levels, levels one, two, and three, and they each have a set of security requirements. But most of the industry is pretty focused on level two, which is the level that's required for organizations that are handling this type of sensitive data called controlled unclassified information or CUI. That's the type of information that the DOD is looking to protect on companies' private networks with CMMC. Um, And really in level two, you're looking at 110 different security requirements. And of those 110, there's an underlying 320 assessment objectives. So what that means is there's 320 different things that an assessor needs to check or validate for an organization to pass that level two assessment. And these are going to range from things that are fairly simple, like perform background checks on your employees, all the way to very complex and nuanced requirements, like only use certain forms of validated cryptography to protect this controlled unclassified information. So it's it's really quite an undertaking. And what's the word on the street here from the folks who are who are on their way to uh, to getting this done? Uh what are their thoughts on uh having to do this? 
Well, it's really important to note that while CMMC is new as a program, these underlying requirements are not new at all. So defense contractors have actually been required to implement these security requirements, which come from a NIST publication called NIST 800-171 since the end of 2017. However, the reason we have CMMC right now is because repeated reports from industry and the DOD inspector general have shown that companies have really overwhelmingly failed to implement these requirements. So CMMC is really an enforcement mechanism for the requirements, and it's going to require some organizations to undergo a third-party assessment and certification before they can participate in new DOD contracts. So where do we stand now in, in terms of the timeline and organizations uh, being able to meet it? Yeah, well, CMMC rulemaking is expected to hit what's called the Federal Register in the May 2023 timeframe. And there's a lot of uncertainty still on whether we're going to get CMMC as what's called an interim final rule or a proposed rule. That distinction is probably too nuanced to unpack on today's show, but really suffice to say that the rollout timeline will be slightly extended if we get a proposed rule rather than an interim final. So there's a lot of conversation around that right now, but my number one piece of advice to companies in the defense industrial base is you don't need to wait to see what's changing in CMMC because it's highly, highly unlikely that we're going to see any changes to the underlying security requirements. So we already know what's going to be on the test. It could easily take you a year or more to be ready for an assessment. So organizations that are in kind of a kick the can mindset might already be out of time. Well, I mean, let's dig into that. What is your advice for organizations who will fall under this? What, What sort of things should they be working on today? Yeah, well, just like really any other security or compliance framework, you can't prepare overnight, right? So in CMMC, there's a mix of technical and non-technical controls that, in my experience, could take, you know, 8, 12, 18 months, even for a small organization to implement and to adequately prepare for that assessment. Um, When you really dig into the security requirements, some of them are just very basic security hygiene. I mean, things that any organization should be doing. To all the way, like I said, to some more complex undertakings. Um, I think a a useful strategy for preparing for CMMC is to really step back and understand where what is the scope of IT systems, business processes that this is going to apply to. Uh, There's a huge difference in whether you're applying these requirements to the entire organization versus a relatively narrow scope for where this controlled unclassified information is being handled. That's Ryan Hydorn from C3 Integrated Solutions. It is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Tim Starks. He is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Tim, welcome back. Hi, Dave. <laughs> so uh, today you write about uh, the end of breach forums and uh, how that might affect the cybercrime ecosystem. Can we start off with just some descriptive stuff here for folks who may not be keeping up to date here? What's the background we need to know about breach forums? Yeah, it's. Uh, I would say it's arguably, if not definitively, the most popular forum uh, that had been going for hackers to essentially trade in stolen information among other kinds of cybercrime. 
it had taken over for a, a similar forum uh, called Raid Forums last year. And yeah, this was this has been a big big part of the cybercrime ecosystem uh, during that time, and, and has been quite popular and infamous. The the thing it uh, was in the headlines most recently for was that you know that someone claimed to have posted the posted the data from the DC HealthLink uh, breach there. That was the one that you know ended up getting I think seventeen members of Congress uh, members their, their information compromised. So yeah. uh, that just to give you a sense of like what kind of thing happens there. And so we had some movement from the FBI this week. Uh, there was an arrest. Yes, they they arrested a nineteen year old uh, fellow uh, in New York City uh, who they say claimed to be the or admitted to being the administrator, and uh, that was. Friday, I believe, and uh, so uh, yeah, that's that was the last thing that happened. Well, that was the thing that that triggered a series of events since. <laughs> and those events are well. So a new administrator popped up and claimed they were taking over the forum, and said that they would they were they had seen no information, no suggestion that that the users' inf- information had been compromised. Meaning. You know, it's kind of a turnabout here in the sense that there pe- there, these are usually where where people are talking about other people's compromised information. This was the users who were the, who this fellow, this person. I we don't I don't know the, the the person's gender had said. I'm worried about protecting you. That is the breach forums users' data uh, mm. and information, and um, that was you know on on Friday, and then as of yesterday, Tuesday. Changed their minds. Uh, said, actually, we're not sure anything is safe anymore here. Raising questions about whether the previous administrator had uh, given information to the FBI, or perhaps the FBI had obtained information about how to get into the system and learn things about the users of breach forms. Um, so that is uh, the end of breach forms as we know it. And so I, I suppose this plays out in a way that the FBI probably hoped that it would. Ultimately, the closure of this this forum here, right? I have to imagine that they're pleased with it. Uh, they had they had seized uh, the, the the previous forum that I mentioned, raid forums. They'd seized that website entirely. This is something that I think everybody agrees. Uh, well, except for cyber criminals, anyway, <laughs> is a, is a good thing. That this has happened, right. um, you know, at at minimum that side is gone. But there might be other gains that they make from this. The question then becomes, you know, how long does this last? How long of a reprieve do we have from from you know English language folk who who traffic in this kind of information? How much of a reprieve will, will we really have, and how long will there be before there's a successor to breach forms? So the person that the FBI arrested, uh, who is alleged to have been running breach forms, his name is Connor Brian Fitzpatrick. As you mentioned, he was arrested in New York. Were folks surprised that this was being operated out of the U.S.? Um, not to my knowledge. I guess my, my I think that folks think of these sorts of forums as as generally you know happening overseas, being Russian operations where they can do so you know without worry of being tracked down by the FBI. So I, th- that particular detail certainly caught my eye. I think it's notable, um, but, but but I think that there are different forums. You know, this was a this was the, I guess the predominant English language forum. Mm. Um, so it kind of makes sense in that context that it might be U.S. Um, you know, other forms might be in other languages. Uh, you know, Russia uh, would would have a, has had its own kind of forums before, uh, and, and probably still does. So uh, in this case, not surprising. 
uh, given the, the language that was being used in the forum. Do you suppose that we might have sort of an accelerated game of whack-a-mole that's happening here? I mean, Reach Forums was around for a shorter amount of time than Raid Forums was. Is it, is it, maybe it's too soon to say if the FBI is accelerating going after these sorts of things, but it, it seems like it. Oh, yeah. I think there's a much more concerted effort to be uh, disrupting cybercriminals. Uh, mm. and, and and anybody who's doing bad stuff in cyberspace. The idea is really outlined quite explicitly in the National Cybersecurity Strategy that just got released a, a couple weeks back. And it's something that they've been signaling over time. Uh, you know, I remember speaking to Adam Hickey a, a couple weeks ago. He was the former high-top-level top DOJ official uh, who worked on cyber cases. He, he told me that the biggest, one of the biggest differences at, at Justice uh, from the time he started to the time he left, I think he was there starting at least in 2008, if I recall correctly. Hmm. At any rate, that that's that was one of the first changes he mentioned. That like this is this is something where we're, we're we're really trying to go after these criminals more directly and disrupt their operations. I think to answer your second question or second part of your question about the cyber, cyber about the whack a mole, yeah, I think that that's that's always kind of the game. Uh, you know, cops and robbers, cat and mouse. There's there's always this constant crime happens. FBI responds, law enforcement responds, criminals collect themselves, try to come up with a different, better way to do things. Uh, in the case of the administrator of Breach Forums, the one who, who who recently said they were taking over, they're talking about moving to Telegram. So whether that whether they follow whether the criminals follow that person or not, there will be a period where where there will be a, a, a rest recu- recovery recoup. And, and try to uh, regroup, regroup and do it better or, or, or in a way that's safer, more long-lasting. Whether that is something that's successful, I, I think eventually it will be, but whether, whether it, it, we, we get into a situation where we keep having these, these companies pop up, not these companies, these forms pop up and then get beaten back down, I think that's a possibility that we're going to see more happen more often. Yeah, as, as the law enforcement continues to turn up the heat. Yeah. All right. Well, Tim Starks is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Tim, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. 
quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. Cyber.